Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. So Tom Brady finally announces his retirement yesterday and then immediately gets blasted right out of the headlines by that lawsuit from former Dolphins head coach Brian Flores. And this lawsuit has literally everything. The worst case of texting the wrong guy ever. Dudes allegedly showing up hungover to interviews. An owner reportedly offering six figures to his head coach to lose games. Oh, and rampant racism. There is so much in this lawsuit, I could do an entire program on just the lawsuit. I could do an entire show on Bill Belichick going old man texter and texting the wrong Brian. I could do an entire program on Broncos then GM John Elway and President and CEO Joe Ellis showing up an hour late to interview Brian Flores. And according to the lawsuit, quote, they look completely disheveled, and it was obvious that they had been drinking heavily the night before. End of quote. Just as I could do an entire program on Dolphins owner Stephen Ross allegedly offering Flores 100 gur, 100 grand per loss in an effort to incentivize him to tank in 2019. So Flores is suing the NFL, the Miami Dolphins the Denver Broncos, and the New York Giants, and there is so much more in the suit. The details are incredible and salacious, but the overall theme is clear, and it's obvious, that there is racial discrimination in the hiring practices of the NFL. Right. Tell us something we don't already know. That's not new. Everybody knows that, and either you acknowledge it or you pretend it does not exist. You know, you go to the old notion that every single coach is hired on, quote, merit. And that everyone who doesn't get hired just doesn't have enough merit. Yeah, well, there's one black head coach in the NFL right now. One. So for all the slogans in the end zone and on the backs of helmets, there's still one black head coach in the NFL. There has been one black head coach hired in the last two years, and he was fired after one year. So we don't need more proof of this. We know this. The thing that's new here is the fact that somebody is filing a lawsuit about it. What's new here is that Brian Flores is putting it all on the line, knowing that there's a damn good chance he will never work in the NFL ever again. Not as a head coach, not as a coordinator. Like, you take a stand like that against the NFL, and you're not even going to get hired as an usher. Ask Colin Kaepernick. Flores knows this. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows that he's taking an enormous risk, but feels like it's very important to step up and do it. As he said in a statement, quote, God has gifted me with a special talent to coach the game of football, but the need for change is bigger than my personal goals, end quote. He also went on to say, my sincere hope is that by standing up against systemic racism in the NFL, others will join me to ensure that positive change is made for generations to come, end quote. So he's coming after the league and he's bringing receipts Like the text exchange with Bill Belichick. If you have not seen this, it is incredible. Incredible. First of all, who knew that Bill Belichick was such a prolific texter? 
and that he drops so many exclamation points. I mean, it's wild. Is this guy posting like crazy on Snapface and Instachat as well? Instachat, Snapface. The reason we know that Belichick sends texts is because Brian Flores submitted screenshots of texts with Belichick as part of the lawsuit. Flores alleges that he spoke with the Giants. Now follow this. He alleges that he spoke with the Giants by video on January 18th. Then he was offered an interview on January 27th. However, according to the suit, hours later, Flores received a text from his old boss, Bill Belichick. Quote, sounds like you have landed. Congrats. With multiple exclamation points. Flores responds, quote, did you hear something I didn't hear? Belichick, quote, Giants, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. I mean, look at the hood man. He's texting like a teen. Three question marks and exclamation points. Man, this dude is about to start hyping BTS and jumping on TikTok. Flores responds, quote, I interview on Thursday. I think I have a shot at it. End quote. Belichick, quote, got it. I hear from Buffalo and NYG that you are their guy. Hope it works out if you want it to. Exclamation point, exclamation point. Again, the way this old guy is texting is amazing. Like, I have a vision of him taking a break from doing the latest viral dance meme, sitting there in a sleeveless hoodie, poking out these texts with his index fingers. And then Flores responds, and I quote, that's definitely what I want. I hope you're right, coach. Thank you. And here's where it turns. Because then Flores texts, quote, coach, are you talking to Brian Flores or Brian Dayball? Just making sure. Bam! Holy crap. The ultimate record scratch. There's a word for that. Uh-oh! And then if you're Belichick, that's when your stomach drops completely out of you altogether. Plummets right to the center of the earth. Because he had been texting the wrong Brian. Like we've all experienced that moment. You know that realization that you sent the wrong text to the wrong person? We have all been there. That's the hood times infinity. The ultimate sad trombone moment. The old wrong text to the wrong guy from a really old guy who's trying to text. Again, everybody's done it, but nobody's done it quite as badly as Belichick just did. I mean, there's making a text mistake, and then there's making a potential multi-million dollar texting mistake. A classic old man texting moment. He probably didn't have his readers on and just fired off some texts to the first Brian he saw on his phone. So eventually, he goes back to the phone, Belichick, and he texts, and I quote, Sorry, I effed this up. I double-checked and misread the text. I think they are naming Dayball. Sorry about that, BB. End of text. In other words... Oh, excuse me, my my bad. bad. 
My, my bad, bad. My friend. I'm sorry. I called it wrong. I'm sorry. My bad. My bad. I got the scores right. I got the winner wrong. My bad, my friend. I'm sorry. Excuse me, my bad. Excuse me. Excuse me, B. My bad. I'm sorry. I called it wrong. My bad. Just deleted. I'm sorry. My bad. I got the winner wrong. It never happened. My bad. I'm sure you'll get the next one. Sorry. It's for Flores. This is proof that the Giants had already decided who they were hiring before they interviewed him. That's what he and his lawyers would allege. That's what they are alleging. The Giants have released a statement saying that they were confident in their hiring practice and that Flores was a candidate, quote, until the 11th hour, end of quote. The Broncos have also issued a statement that referred to the allegations in the lawsuit as, quote, blatantly false, end quote. And they state that they've got the records and the notes from the interview to back it up. The NFL has also issued a statement which read in part, quote, diversity is core to everything we do. And there are few issues on which our clubs and our internal leadership team spend more time. We will defend against these claims, which are without merit, end quote. All right, so we're going to find out whether the claims have merit or not. I would say the fact that one of the 32 head coaches is black would be an indication that diversity is not exactly, quote, core to everything, end of quote, that the league does. And that if the team spent as much time on it as the league claims, maybe there would be more black head coaches, coordinators, assistants, GMs, and team presidents. I would also say that if the league were as committed to the cause as they say they are, maybe they would want to do an investigation into this instead of saying immediately that it's, quote, without merit, end of quote. And maybe the league wouldn't be hit with a lawsuit, which includes this footnote about Joe Judge. Quote, the Giants' willingness to hire Mr. Judge, but not Mr. Flores, is a particular affront to racial equality when comparing their relative qualifications. End of quote. Let me tell you something. It's a bleeping fact. That's a fact. Here's another fact. Joe Judge is a billion times more likely to get hired again as a head coach than Brian Flores. The fact that Flores will most likely pay for this with his coaching career, is both courageous and outrageous. Brian Flores is not the problem here. Brian Flores is pointing out the problem, and he's the one who's going to pay the price. Big game's coming up, right? Omaha Steaks has got the perfect package to save you over 50%. Now, I've been an enormous fan for years. I mean, literally for years of Omaha Steaks. They make it easy to enjoy an unforgettable game day meal to be loved and shared. And for a limited time, Omaha Steaks is offering a special touchdown game day package. Visit omahasteaks.com. Type in the keyword gym. That's a little bit different now. Keyword gym in the search bar and take advantage of this exclusive offer. Are you looking for more? Omaha Steaks makes it easy to warm up your winter with 50% off lean tender steaks and hearty home cooked favorites. Visit omahasteaks.com, enter gym in the search bar, and order the Heartland Favorites package. You will save over 50%, plus, you'll get four lean pork chops and four extra juicy chicken breasts every single time. Every order is backed by their 100% satisfaction guarantee, delivered safe. 
safely to your doorstep. Omaha Steaks. Nobody comes close to matching their flavor, tenderness, and value. OmahaSteaks.com, keyword Jim. Of course, I'm speaking of Demario Davis. Demario, it's good to have you back. How are you? It's good. What's going on, Jim? Thanks for having me on. Always good having you on. All right, so let me ask you this. You're coming off a year where you played once again at an all-pro level, but it was a challenging season from the standpoint of having to evacuate to Dallas early in the year, lots of injuries all over the roster, players and coaches dealing with COVID, yet you still were battling for a playoff spot late. When you look back to Mario on the season, what kind of thoughts do you have? Well, I mean, it's it's just it's, it's a game of winning, right? You know, you only – uh, praise when you win, um, and that's certainly the goal is to finish with a Super Bowl and, and win with a Super Bowl. But at the same time, I've always I love the game of football because it's the greatest teacher of life. It's about the type of adversity that you go through, all the lessons that you learn in that, and how you have an opportunity to respond. And man, even though we fell short of our goals, uh, very proud of of our twenty uh, twenty one team and and how we fought the resiliency that we had to show. Um, there were so many things that, that you couldn't uh, predict happening um, during the course of the year from uh, injuries to uh, hurricanes to uh, COVID games and, um, you know, all those different dynamics that took place for our team and for us to continue battle um, when it could have been very easy for us to throw in the towel. I think it just speaks to the the culture of the locker room, the type of individuals that we have in the locker room from coaches to players. Um, and that it was a very challenging year, but it was one of those years that when you look back on it, um, you know, it, it, it tested us a lot, and I think it grew us a lot. So um, definitely grateful for it. Demario Davis joining us. In fact, I was going to go there next. When you look at what the team had to endure, I mean, there were so many opportunities and chances to give in even shut it down, but that's not what happened. I'm curious, Demario, as one of the leaders in that locker room, how did you keep guys focused and motivated throughout all of that? What were the types of things that you said and did? Uh, it was a challenge. It was a challenge though, on on me as well as I think a lot of other leaders uh, individually. Um, what what they had to do to make sure um, that that the rest of the guys were ready to go. Um, I'm a I'm a big believer in every, anything that you do you commit to um, no matter what's going on you have to go all in every day and um, that was that was a challenge to do especially when we went to that five game losing streak um, being that one of the winning winning against organizations over the past four years that was very much of a challenge um, but it was just relying on the falling back on the fundamentals um, you know showing up every day doing the things that, that you know uh, discipline-wise are going to pay off, whether that's in the weight room or the way that you practice or the way that you study film. Um, but it was also being able to look at it from a situation, and here I am, a guy in year 10 that has faced adversity before, and then it's guys that are in their fourth, fifth year that have had a ton of success and never gone through it. And so looking at that as an opportunity to be able to teach them and show them how to prepare like a pro. And so I think it was a lot of different um, – things uh, that went into place uh, uh, for me. I did a lot of meditation and prayer. And um, I think going through the, 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 the toughest parts of the stretch was what was most challenging. But when you got into the back end of the season and realized that we had two games to be competing for a playoff spot, that's where it was fun. And um, so we were able to finish strong in that, in that regard. And so definitely got dark in there for a bit. But I think you just when you go through those storms, it's about just holding true to the things that you know work and uh, waiting till you come out of the other side of that storm.
Demario Davis is joining us. I can appreciate that. So Sean Payton recently announced that he was going to step away from coaching. I'm curious, what kind of emotions went through you when he made that announcement? And then in your opinion, secondarily, what sets him apart from other coaches? Yeah, I think uh, both of those questions can kind of be answered in one. It was so many emotions. Um, you know, I knew Coach Payton was a, uh, a great coach and a great offensive mind, but I didn't know how good of a head coach he was when I signed here four years ago. Um, and so having the opportunity to play for him and uh, play underneath him and see uh, all that goes into why he's had the success that he has, it, it, it definitely uh, raised my level of play. Uh, being around him and and the the culture that that he had uh, helped to foster, and you know all of those things, you know day in day out, being in that environment grew me as a player. It grew me as an individual. It grew me as a person. It grew me in the mindset that it takes to be a winner in this game, and the type of preparation that you have to be able to put into it. It grew me in all those arenas, and I think that was directly related to to being around him in an environment that that, that he had helped create. Tomorrow also, yeah. when I look when I look back and saw all the players that he had impacted, you know, doing all those emotional tweets, all those uh, Instagram posts, thanking him for what he meant to them. That's when I was able to reflect and see how great of a coach he really was not just in X and O's, but in, in, in creating an environment that people want to be a part of and creating that family-type atmosphere. And so a coach to be able to win and create that type of atmosphere is rare, and it really just speaks to how great of a coach he is, and he's definitely going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. We are talking to Demario Davis. Demario, you and I have spoken in the past about your commitment to others and to justice. So I'm curious, what was your reaction when you learned about the lawsuit that Brian Flores filed yesterday? Uh, it's a lot that goes. I think I have a lot of emotions just like like um, everybody else. I don't know all the details in it. Um, and if everything played out as if he said it, then, you know, a lot of people in that are just, just mm-hmm. flat out wrong. And I think it's not as much as what happens, as much as how we, we handle things when, when they're wrong or, or, or when they're broken. I think it shines a light on a, a broken system. There's definitely a broken system when we only have one black head coach. We only have three black GMs. We have no black owners in a league that's um, uh, 60%, 70% uh, black athletes. And so there's definitely a broken system, and we're living in a time where we're trying to rectify uh, many things that that have been wrong in our country from from the past. I think there's a huge opportunity to to work and get it right. We're on we're two years uh, post George Floyd, and I think that shined a light on what we were as a country. And um, I feel like sport is a is a microcosm of society, and and that's being reflected, you know, here with this law, lawsuit. And so. I don't know all the details of what's going on in this specific situation, but I think it's reflective of, of what's going on at a larger scale inside of our game, what's going on in a larger scale inside of our society. I think there are, are, are many barriers that black people are, are dealing with when it comes to assuming or getting um, higher positions in corporations, business, businesses, nonprofit organizations, et cetera. Um, when they go to for these positions, there there are barriers, whether those barriers are conscious or subconscious, because predominantly in those spaces uh, are, are, are white individuals, and we still kind of live in 
um, uh, a segregated society, meaning, um, you know, white people tend to hang with white people in, in colleges and business schools. Black people tend to hang with black people in, in, in their respective spaces. And so when these jobs come down to it's who you know, then it's naturally, whether that's conscious or, or subconscious, it's going to be you're going to you're going to hire those that look like you. And and we have to figure out how to to deal with that. And that's where you get systemic racism from. It's not. I think a lot of times people think of racism, they think it's just the harsh things that, uh, you know, that, that uh, have been done to, to black people or things like that. But it's not necessarily, you know, the, the harsh things. That's just, a, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's a huge uh, underbelly of issues that have to be dealt with, and that's from a structural level. And that, that's going to take serious accountability. It's going to take a, require a lot of attention to detail and dealing with that in our game and in corporations around. And so I think NFL has a, a tremendous opportunity. Um, it has dealt with social injustice with uh, a, a slogan called Inspire Change. And Inspire Change, you can't inspire change if you don't check your, yourself first. And I think the NFL has done a lot of things. I work with, with the NFL as a part of Players Coalition, which is a social justice vehicle, uh, working working alongside uh, the league and uh, uh, to to in, to actually take change in, in in many different realms and seeing the NFL take in some of the recommendations that the player coalitions has offered to the NFL and, and seeing them out uh, on the front lines trying to bring about change. But change is whole, and so you have to you have to begin with yourself first. And so the NFL has to to, to deal with the things that are going on in house first. You know, dealing with the equity that the other inequity that exists inside um, the, the top positions, such as coaching, uh, presidents, general managers, and ownership. And uh, in doing that, you'll be able to inspire change because you'll be have uh, lived it out and uh, displayed it first. And I think that's just what's going on. I agree with you, DeMario. I agree with you. As I mentioned in the intro, you were part of a Super Bowl breakfast along with Ronnie Lott, DeForest Buckner, Frank Reich, and more. Last year, you received the Bart Starr Award at that breakfast. The award honors character and leadership in the home, on the field, and in the community. What does that award mean to you? That that award means uh, so much to me because it's selected by the players. And one of the the most important things for me in this game is to, to have the respect of my peers the people who are in the arena who play the game, um, who I practice with, who I'm with on a day-to-day basis and compete against. And so to be selected by players as being a light on the field, um, in the home, in the community, that that is a tremendous honor and something that I don't take lightly. And um, I always want to represent that in the, in the best way. He is a three-time All-Pro. Once again, the 2021 Bart Star Award winner, recipient of the In Pursuit of Justice Award, coming off another enormous season and, as I mentioned, part of the 35th annual Super Bowl breakfast, February 12th, 8 a.m. Pacific time. Demario Davis, my guest. Demario, much respect to you, much appreciation to you. I always look forward to our conversations, and that was another great one. Thank you so much for doing that. Hey, I appreciate you, Jim. You guys are blessed. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef very seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Who wants dried 
tough beef in a bag. Nobody. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old Fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy for those of you who like to take things up a notch. Next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? We are joined by Josh McDaniels. Josh, it has been a minute or two since you and I last spoke. I've got to know, how are you doing? How's your life? And how is that new job, Josh? (laughs) Hey, Jim, it's great to be with you. Uh, It has been a minute, but uh, super excited for this opportunity um, in Vegas. Uh, We've we've been nonstop since Monday, and uh, it's really exciting. Uh, A lot of great people here, uh, the organization, uh, has been nothing but tremendous and uh, really, really excited for this opportunity. All right, so what about that, Josh? Like, I know the clones are fired up that you're back as head coach. <laughs> they love having somebody who used to listen to the program back in the day as an NFL head coach. How does it feel then specifically for you to be the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders? It's a great opportunity, you know, and I've looked forward to this uh, chance, hoping that I would get another opportunity to do it uh, for, for many years and, and tried to uh, learn from my experiences in the past and grow and uh, change and, and, and figure out exactly uh, who I am, what I needed to do differently, and how I could do it better. And, um, you know, it's, it's a blessing that I have the opportunity to do it here in Las Vegas. Talking to Josh McDaniels, and I think that's a really candid response. Like, everybody is looking to improve and learn new skills. So how did you go about doing that work on yourself and on the areas where maybe you weren't as strong as you'd like to be? What was your process? What did you do? The year I spent in St. Louis, uh, right after Denver, um, you know, in 2011 was, I would say, very formative to me. I mean, uh, we weren't, we, we didn't have a great season. We weren't a great team that year. Um, but I, I had a lot of time to myself and my family didn't come out for, uh, five, four or five months and spent a lot of time by myself reflecting on, you know, the experiences that I had the, the previous two years and, uh, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? What would I change? How would I, how would I need to be different? Um, really tried to evaluate and study the relationships that I built or failed to build. And, um, and just really, it was humbling. Uh, took, the, took the time to try to do that. Really s- sought out some people uh, that had lived through experiences that were similar. Um, you know, people, Co- like Coach Dungy was very important to me then. He really shared a lot of experiences that he had had. And, and many other people really were gracious with their time and wisdom that I didn't have at that time. And so um, I've really tried to I- implement those things in my life uh, as a person, as a coach, uh, since then and, and try to improve in every way that I could and hoping that one day that I would have another opportunity to do it and do it right. Josh McDaniels is joining us. You know, so you have, if I'm not mistaken, Josh, you have had a number of other opportunities. You had a really good thing going on, obviously, in New England. So what was it about this particular opportunity that made you feel like it was the right place for you at the right time? I think I was I was always looking for um, you know a combination of things and it starts with the owner um, and Mr. Davis made a, a tremendous impression on me right away. Um, he was very clear with his vision for how this works here, uh, what he's what he looks for from his head coach, 
Um, their commitment to excellence is real and authentic. You can see it in every corner of the building, um, every spot in the stadium, which I was, I was able to, to see the other day. Um, all the people I've met have been tremendous. And uh, to have an opportunity to partner with somebody that I'm familiar with and Dave Ziegler, um, that was an important part for me. And, and knowing that I, I speak the same language, we trust each other, there's a synergy that's already there. Uh, we can challenge one another. Uh, we can disagree and figure out a solution to it. Um, and then, the, you know, the quarterback and the team, you know, and we all know the quarterback is such an important uh, piece of, of each team in the National Football League. And uh, Derek's won a lot of games here for a long time and, um, you know, and, and got a lot of football left in him. So um, this is a team that qualified for the postseason uh, last year and, um, and we're looking forward to, to getting started with the process of trying to improve that team. But those are the main things that went into it, and uh, I'm excited to be here. Josh McDaniels, the head coach of the Raiders. You know, Josh, you said so many things in that response that I'd want to follow up on, but let me ask you about the quarterback. you got to have a quarterback. You know this better than anybody. I understand that you did speak with him by phone over the weekend. Yep. How would you describe that conversation? Really, really, really good. Um, th this guy's uh, he, he's about faith, family, and football, and you could tell uh, on the conversation. And he's he's real and genuine. Um, he wants to he wants to win. He wants to work hard. Um, he keeps it simple, and and I know he's all in on being a Raider and doing whatever it takes to help this team and this organization win. So, uh, made a strong first impression on me, uh, and I'm excited to start to build that relationship and get to work with him. Josh McDaniels joining us. You know, I'm wondering, how much were you able to take from your time in New England and with Bill Belichick, and then how much do you need to do in a different way? I think there's a lot of things that, um, you know, process-oriented that are, that are really well done there. There's certainly many things that Bill does uh, that are hard to replicate, you know, uh, himself personally, because he has experiences and, and wisdom that, that we don't have yet, you know, and um, we're going to try to take the things that we know how to implement systems, terminology, language, um, and, and really the, the focus on how to win and team building. Those things are, are wonderful parts of any organization, and we're going to try to do the best we can to put them in place here. But I think it's really important for me uh, to come here and be, be myself and be who I am. And uh, there's not two of us that are the same. And I know, I know who I am as a person, as a, as a coach, uh, as a team member, as, gonna, as somebody who's going to be a part of this culture, um, and, and looking forward to, to just doing that myself, being who I am, uh, being authentic, uh, and letting everyone see that. Raiders head coach Josh McDaniels back in the jungle and joining us. You know, Josh, you know who you are now. You also know this team and the team's identity and its tradition. In fact, you talked about how much you appreciate the tradition and the history of the Raiders. What is it about the identity of this franchise that appeals to you the most? It's just, I mean, it's it's one of those teams where from the from the time I was four, five, six years old and really, you know, you hear about the great franchises and the iconic places in the National Football League the Raiders, the Packers, the Cowboys, the Steelers. Uh, it's one of those organizations. And when you walk into the building here and you see the pictures of John Madden and Mr. Davis and Kenny Stabler and Dave Casper and Charles Woodson, and I mean, there's so many great players and, and great people that have been a part of this franchise and are so rich in terms of the history and what they've accomplished here. Um, it was easy to fall in love with the concept of, of, of being the head coach here, if you're given the opportunity once you see this place and you really realize how, how important it is to these people in this place. So 
um, you know, it, it was a it was a pretty simple decision when when I found out I was going to have this opportunity, um, and and just wanted to come out here and try to do the best I can and, and make a great impression on them. We are talking to Josh McDaniels for a couple of more moments before I let you go. Obviously, Tom Brady, Josh made his retirement official yesterday. You and I could do an entire program for days and days on what makes him so special and such an outlier. You've been around the game a long, long time. You've been around a lot of different types of professionals. What made Tom so unique? I would say two things stand out to me. I mean, you're right. We could sit here and talk about this for days. But uh, his his passion and desire to outwork everybody, uh, outprepare everybody to be the best player he could be and help the team win, I don't think, you know, I've seen anybody do it that way. And, and it would be, be hard-pressed for me to figure out somebody that would do it that way. He just never – he never cut a corner. He always put the time and effort into it. Um, and, and that's why everybody respected him as our leader uh, so, so much. And, and then how genuine he was as a teammate, as a player that you coached, how much he cared about other people. Um, it wasn't all about him. It was always, always a, about you, your family, your children, what you had going on in your life. And that's never changed. He's been authentic and consistent with that. Um, and, and that's why everyone uh, feels the way they do about him and, and what he's accomplished in his career. Right, so like, as a follow-up to that, like it's, it's commonly accepted right, that he is the GOAT. Would you suggest he's a better leader than even he is as a player? It, it would be right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone wants to follow this guy. Uh, he sets the example. He does the work. Um, he, he understands the why, uh, and he can motivate others to join his his cause. And and he, you know, he always uh, was able to 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 bring out his best in the most critical situations. And um, every player, every coach, every person that was in our organization had such a deep respect for him because of the way he did it. So, Josh, you mentioned his why. At this point in your life and your career, what's your why? You know, I've been so fortunate to have a chance to be a part of a, a world-class organization in New England and have so many wonderful experiences there. Um, my family, all the memories we've had, all the things we've been able to accomplish as an organization, and just being a small part of that, and, and wanting to have an opportunity to try to, to start that somewhere else and, and grow that and then share those opportunities and those experiences and those memories and those uh, hopefully those championship moments with another group of people and, and feel like you really contributed to the building of that culture and those memories. That's, that's what I'm doing it for. I love the game of football. Uh, I've been a coordinator and assistant coach for a long time and, and would love the opportunity to try to succeed as a head coach. And, and this opportunity was given to me, and I, I can't wait to get started on it. Here it is. Josh McDaniels, my guest. Josh, before you go, if I could ask you, you did coach with Brian Flores in New England. Can I get your reaction to the lawsuit that he filed yesterday? Yeah, I, I, as you know, I've, I've been I've been kind of swamped here the last couple of days, and I don't really know all the details of everything. But I I know Brian, and Brian's um, a great person, and a, and a, uh, he's been a huge part of the success we had in New England. And uh, Brian's a stand-up guy that would would always do the right thing, um, was a leader, um, and, and wasn't wasn't afraid to do the right thing uh, if he felt strongly about it. So. Um, you know, he has our support, and um, as a friend, you know, you just want the best for your friends and the people you care most about, and uh, that's how I feel about Flo, and uh, I'm sure he'll do what he feels is right. 
I appreciate that, Josh. I appreciate that you get this opportunity. You earned it. I think they made a really good decision. I think you made a really good decision. And I do want to say, I'm not going to drag you into this, but when it became pretty apparent that you were not only a candidate, but that you were going to get this job, I went deep into the archives and I found some of the old conversations that you and I had back in the day. Like I said, I'm not going to drag you into all that, but I do want to say it is absolutely awesome to hear your voice back on this program. I really appreciate you saying yes and coming back on so quickly. Congrats on the opportunity and what can I tell you my man just really good to have you back in the jungle thanks a lot Jim you know this is my favorite spot and anytime you guys want to chat uh, I'll look forward to it I love hearing that Josh great to have you back thanks so much good luck thank you very much hey you want a new podcast to look forward to every single week one that's entertaining informative and packed with actionable content of course you do the average podcast listener has six shows in rotation so you're most likely not just listening to the daily jungle and that's totally fine in fact let me suggest a podcast that you should add to your list it's the jordan harbinger show a top shelf podcast named best of apple in 2018 jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people from athletes authors and scientists to mobsters spies, hostage negotiators, and more. Jordan is one of the goats when it comes to podcasting, and he has got one of the most highly rated self-development shows out there right now. Point blank, this dude is smart, he's funny, he is easy to listen to. You will find actionable advice that can improve your life directly. You cannot go wrong with adding the Jordan Harbinger Show to your rotation. It is incredibly interesting. There is never a dull show. Search for the Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Look who's back. None other than Drizzle. What's up, Drizzle? Yo, what's happening with you, Romy Rome? Been a long time. How you living, baby? Good, dude. Good. How about you? Good to hear your voice. Yo, man, I can't count it. You got it. You know what I'm sizzling? Hey, but check game. For anybody out there wondering why Brian Flores is taking the stand that he is, it's because that scrub, Adam Gacy, who's now the offensive coordinator for a high school football team, was able to find work after one, one winning season in the NFL. The man was 32-48. and 48. Brian Flores gets fired because he actually wanted to win games, and supposedly they wanted in the tank. And by the way, two out of three years with the Dolphins, winning seasons. If you all don't think there's a problem with what's going on in the NFL – then just take a look at that one little tiny scenario and understand why the man is taking the stand that he is. Now, on to other things like that. Washington, they should have changed the name from the Redskins. Why? You would never walk up to a native. You would never walk up to a tribal person and go, hey, Redskin, because it would be racist AF. That's why. But calling them the commanders, what are they the commanders of? Three and 13 seasons? seven and nine seasons, and that's really hard to do in the NFC East considering the fact that nobody over there is playing football like they're an NFL team acting more like their high school football teams. Now, Rome, look, man, no disrespect, baby, but I'm not really sold on the whole McDaniels hire, and I'll tell you why. 
my pop, God rest the man, was a huge Broncos fan, and we all saw that dumpster fire with him yelling on the sidelines, barely being able to win a couple of football games. And, of course, what does he have to do? Go back to the hood and be what he should be, and that's an offensive coordinator. I love the hire because I know if my pop was alive right now, he would celebrate the fact that he knows now the Raiders are going to win maybe four games next year, and that's against scrub teams like Washington. Now, finally this. A long time ago on Twitter when I decided to take a sabbatical because I had to continue to handle my business in life and work a really hard job, a lot of people started getting online and tweeting this and that about Driz. He's lying. He's saying this. He's saying that. And I don't believe his story. His nose is bigger than Pinocchio. Anytime any one of you want to come down to the Dub K, I will show you the grave sites for my pop and my brother laying on top of each other. Then we could take a nice little trip on over to the shelter that I was staying at that I actually now volunteer at as a part of what little free time I have. And then after that, I could take you outside, throw you a beating for ever saying that I would lie about some stuff like that. Rome, I appreciate you, baby. Continue to keep it 100. What's my name? My man, Drizzle. Never bet alone ever again. You can join in on the action by downloading WinBet today and become a part of the newest sports betting app on the market. That's right, WinBet. The luxury hoteliers are now in the digital betting space and they're offering that same five-star service that you're used to from Win Resorts, all in the form of a sports book and digital casino app. Get exclusive rewards right at your fingertips. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports. From football, basketball, hockey, golf, tennis, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, we have what you need to win. Are you ready to play? Sign up right now. Receive a special offer. Risk-free, $1,000 sports bet. Download, bet, win. Download the WinBet app right now or visit wynnbet.com and start winning. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. All right, let's get at it. Let me start first with the social media beefs. Susie from Wisco, batting leadoff, quote, Listen, really quickly about this. You can beef about anything you want. I don't care. Literally anything. Anything. Susie, batting leadoff. Quote, hi, Jim. I have a beef with the sage advice that there's more than one way to skin a cat. Given that I am not a taxidermist, it's not useful and it's borderline criminal. Hey, Rome, my beef is with Urban Meyer. As the old saying goes, the beat of a butterfly's wings can change the weather half a world away. Well, Pervin patting that co-ed's butt in Columbus affected my happy world in New Hampshire. A few weeks back, I was driving around with my five-year-old daughter. We were listening to your show, of course, and you were discussing Buddy's Night Out. Unfortunately, my daughter was paying attention and she lit me up with, what does perving mean? Hella awkward. awkward. Thanks, perv. Signed Casey in New Hampshire. Casey, I feel you. It reminds me and takes me back to a day where my nephew, Zach, 
Man, Zach's one of the best kids. I love this guy. He's not a kid anymore. He was then. Great dude to have few pops with. He hit his dad, Craig, who is my wife, Dodger Jano's brother, with a dad. Brother. Uncle Jim said, meat whistle. What does that mean? And we continue. Jim Master. What up, Zach? See you soon, kid. Uh, Jim Master. My beef is with Valentine's Day and my wife. Men, if your significant other tells you they don't want anything special, don't buy in. It's a trap. She wants to be recognized and tell her friends how special she is. Valentine's Day sucks. Ron in Colorado. Ron, you already cracked the code, man. Just deal with it. You got it? Ross Tucker's got you on that one. I've told you this a million times. Hey, Jim, my beef is with people who have a baby on board bumper sticker on their car. Baby or not, you still suck at driving and can't go the speed limit. Move over to the right lane or better yet, get a baby carriage and push that little thing around town. Jeff from PDX. Yeah, I've never much understood that. I remember back in the day, literally every single person who had a baby had that thing. Whoever came up with that made a fortune. Who's going to look at a car like, oh, there's a baby on board. I'm going to drive differently. I'll be more defensive. Nobody looks at that and thinks that. I've never understood that. Let's see. Hey, Rome. I've got a beef with Matt in Alaska. This unoriginal kook waits for somebody to come in with a strong beef and then piggybacks off of it for one of his own. Matt, come up with something original or go back to wrestling bears for fish or whatever the hell it is you do in Alaska. Johnny in Green Bay. For the record, Johnny, not only do I not have an issue with beefs, about beefs, I actually like it. It's one of my favorite parts of the segment. The rocket guy is in. Dave, quote, my beef is with idiots. Who predict weather based on whether or not a large rodent sees its shadow? Welcome to the 21st century. Pugsatani, flipping a coin thinks you're leaving too much up to chance with these predictions. Release Phil into the wild idiots. Alf, 1095 tweets. Rome, my beef is with people who order their steak well done and then have the brass to ask the waiter, what's taking so long? Maybe if you didn't order a hockey puck, it wouldn't take so long. Hi, Jim. My beef is with chips. Bags being full of more air than chips. I have to stick my hand more than halfway into the bag before I get to the chips. Come on, you cheap skate chip manufacturers. Fill the bags all the way to the top. Paul from Mesa. You know, I come to expect that about chips. That doesn't bother me. What bothers me more is if I don't get a full pour on my martini. That bothers me way more than not getting a full chip on my bag of chips. Hello, Jumpman. I have a beef with people who have a beef with roundabouts or traffic circles on the roads. If you can't figure out how to manage these efficient items, you're an idiot. Turn in your license, War Flores, 
Matt and the SRQ. We've got a roundabout right outside my neighborhood. Every single day there's something. There's a very obvious yield on this thing. And there's always that idiot that does not pay heed to the yield. When I'm coming around that thing, and I'm not a guy that likes to use the horn, I ride that thing for a good 30 seconds. That's a reason to go. Not yielding on the roundabout when it's painted right there. I agree with you. Roger Thornhill tweets, my beef is with people who buy and sell farts in jars. What the hell has happened to our society that once put a man on the moon? I'm ashamed to call myself a fellow homo sapien with these people. If there's a market, she did make a lot of money doing that. Obviously, people wanted it. Hi, Jim. You want to know what my beef is? My beef is when you're texting someone and you see their texting bubble, so you immediately stop typing while waiting for the bubble to stop, and it does stop, but there's no message. Huge beef. Huge. <laughs> Bella being Calgary. What, Bella, they're not afraid to text somebody other than you? Or how do you know they didn't delete the text that they were sending to you? Hey, Rome. My beef is in haiku form. It's called boring. Nothing says bland like the Washington Commanders. Nice job, geniuses. Chad from Orlando, in their defense, Chad, it's not like they had a lot of time to come up with that. Hey, Jim, my beef is with counter-service food establishments, especially ones with chalk or whiteboard menus that don't cross out the items that they run out of. You spend all this time in line deciding what you want to go or what you want just to get to the front of the line to hear, sorry, we're out of that. It bothers me so much. Instead, I literally always say, okay, thanks, and I just leave the place. G in the OC. Yo, brother. Brother. Even though you and I live in the same town, I've tried that. When you just stomp out of there and you leave, they don't give a damn. Have they ever followed you out and said, oh, sorry, sir. Sorry, sir. Let me comp you. No, they're like, they're like that 16-year-old at Nectar when I got all bent out of shape and I stomped out of there. You think she gave a damn? She was looking at me like, yeah, that's what I thought, boomer. Just get your boomer ass out of here, man. They don't care. I mean, I feel you. I'm just saying they don't care. You're not making a stand by walking out of there. They don't care. Jamie in Green Bay. My beef is with people posting their Wordle scores on social media. Hey, nerds, we don't care if you guessed a word. Romy, you rock, tweets. My beef is with idiots pushing their dog in a baby stroller. Hey, mom, you know your kid has four legs, right? Unwar dudes rolling with chick dogs on their laps. What's a chick dog? A dog that a chick would have or a female dog? What, what, what qualifies as a chick dog? A small dog? Madison's in. I like that. Mike and Madison, dear Jim, my beef is with myself for running out of jerky before last week's beef segment. Once you started talking about Old Trapper, my mouth started watering like it normally does. But alas, I had no Old Trapper in the house. 
Just like it's best to watch Supermarket Sweep while eating dinner, it is best to listen to the beef segment with a big bag of peppered or hot and spicy old trapper. I've got my stock today, so let's do this. You got it, bro. Jim, my beef, oh, it's Dom and Erie. Okay, my beef is with you saying the email and Twitter beefs are better than the call beefs. Last time I checked, my call was the only beef this year to make you really laugh out loud. Don't do us dirty. Sign the ones with a big enough set to call. See, Dom, you're the outlier, though, dude. You're right. You are the outlier, though, Dom. They're not all like you. Let's get some calls in quickly. Let's go to Central Florida. Dan, what is your beef, Dan? Skillet, my beef is with Jungle Tourette's. Called my local car place to get my car service. Dude answered the phone and said, this is Fabian. Can I help you? Without blinking, I said, you know, you know. I hung up immediately. Damn, Jungle Tourette struck again. I'm out. My man. Nice job, Dan. Let's go to Kathleen in Omaha. Kathleen, what is your beef? Hello Kitty is a little girl is the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. It's like saying Pikachu is a little boy and not a mouse. She's a cat, an adorable cat she is. Kathleen, there you go. She's got a beef with Hello Kitty. Let's try David in Santa Clara. David, what's your beef? What's up, Pip? My beef is with Fizzle. Hey, you know what? Hey, Drizzle, is that how you were conceived or is that the best you can do keep the raiders out of your mouth son okay come at me something better than that david i don't know that you want any of that fire even though drizzle disagreed with my take about josh mcdaniels i'm not sure you want any of that let's go to craig in seattle craig what's your beef hey my beef is with uh the fact that brian flores is standing up for something that is uh, that is worthy, and you know it, it harkens back to uh, Colin Kaepernick and the fact that he's basically just a bigger uh, Lamar Jackson big up, you know, blackballed out of the league. I'm out. My beef is I have no idea what the hell you were trying to say. There you go. Like I said, Michael McCann is my guest. Michael, it's been a little bit since you and I last spoke. I'm happy that you and I are able to come together today. How are you doing? How are things? Jim, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back, and I hope you're doing well as well. I certainly am. It's good to have you back. So let me start right here. The NFL, Michael, has faced a number of lawsuits over the years, but how significant in your mind is the lawsuit that Brian Flores filed yesterday? This is a game changer. This is a serious lawsuit that has the potential of being very disruptive for the NFL and its teams. And if it gets past a motion to dismiss and we get into discovery, meaning emails are turned over, witnesses, coaches, executives, owners have to testify under oath, there's all sorts of ways in which this could spiral in a direction that the NFL should be concerned about. Now, the NFL will have defenses, but I I think just at a starting point, it's got to be troubling for the league. Now, the league has had other big cases. The concussion litigation was certainly significant, and I wouldn't want to say that it's somehow less than this, but I think they're both up there. Michael McCann is joining us. All right, so there's a lot to unpack there. Let me ask you this. Before we get into some of the specific details, in your mind, what are the most important and most troubling allegations that are there now? Yeah, so I, I think from the, for the standpoint of him winning the lawsuit, or at least advancing the lawsuit, the argument that the, that the 
teams were acting in a racist way is certainly the most damning part, that they are not living up to the spirit of the Rooney Rule, that they're acting in a way that is uh, merely just going through the motions and that they're not at all interested in hiring him, and he argues because of race. That's certainly very damning. I think, although this isn't necessarily as relevant to hiring or firing, the allegation that the Dolph- that Stephen Ross offered $100,000 for every loss the team had during the 2019 season for tanking reasons, that's not necessarily going to help him win the case, but it's very damning, and, it, and, it, and I think it warrants its own uh, discussion. We're talking to Michael McCann. I'm going to follow you up on that point in a minute. But back to the Rooney Rule. Is there a distinction, Michael, between violating the Rooney Rule and the league's other rules and practices and actually violating the law itself? Like, is violating league rules already grounds for a lawsuit? No, and that's a really great question because the violation of a league rule is just an or it's just a, it's literally like a company policy. It is its own internal thing. Now it's all it's relevant to the law certainly. So and the teams that are implicated here, they're going to say they acted in accordance with the rule that they were complying with the rule, and the compliance argument is going to say we were not acting with racial intent. We were acting in order to comply with our business obligation as a franchise in the NFL that we have certain obligations and duties that we were only doing that. Now Flores is going to say that's not true. But, but it's a key distinction. Okay, so what about this? I mean, could you see a scenario whereby the league says, yes, pretty much everything in that suit is true and it's bad, but it's not illegal? Like, would that be grounds for dismissal? Yeah, and, th- and they may do that. They, and I think they're going to disagree with some of the things, right? They're not going to – the Stephen Ross stuff, I mean, there are parts of that that I'm sure they're going to dispute. But if they say, yeah, yes, there were interviews that were not as serious as other interviews – that teams were trying to comply with the rule, that's not illegal, that they were not motivated in a way to discriminate on the basis of race. They were motivated to follow a rule. And that's a distinction that I think the league will try to make. Now, the Giants situation is going to be interesting, where if it turns out that they had already made a decision to hire someone else, and then they bring in Flores for an interview. Now, the the counter-argument, though, there is to say, well, hey, look, Josh McDaniel said he was going to the Colts four or five years ago, and that fell apart. We're doing our due diligence. You never know what's going to happen until you have someone signed. Hmm. Michael McCann is joining us, breaking it all down. So back to Stephen Ross, Michael. I mean, this notion that he may have offered $100,000 for each game the floor has lost in 2019, if in fact that can be proven true, what, if any, are the legal ramifications for Ross and the NFL? I think as a starting point, if it can be proven true, the Dolphins are going to face an unprecedented penalty, right, in terms of draft pick losses, fines, suspensions. Uh, who, who knows? I mean, he, he, they could move to remove him from the league conceivably if it's true. I mean, this could be the rare instance where a league actually follows through and tries to remove someone. Now, in that case, usually the owner sells voluntarily. We've seen that happen. But I think that's, that's one threshold. Another threshold could be civil litigation, where where people that went to games sue saying well you know why you told me this was a competitive game this wasn't competitive at all you were actually trying to lose uh, you're betraying your marketing promises we've seen some litigation along those lines it, 
it's often tough because when you buy a game ticket, you really only get the right to go to a game. But here the argument would be it wasn't a real game. It was, it was really an exhibition because the team wasn't trying to win. Some have speculated maybe there's a criminal element to this. I'm pretty skeptical of that. We haven't seen tanking lead to any kind of criminal charges. I'm not sure what the crime would be. And uh, some have also said, well, what about people betting? Uh, could they sue? They could sue, but the problem is that when you bet, you're, you're sort of free-riding. Uh, you, you have no, the team doesn't have any duty to a better. They're not in contract with the better. So that's going to be a hurdle. Yeah, I was going to say, you actually beat me to it. I was going to ask you really quickly, is, are throwing games, if in fact that's throwing games, is that criminal activity? I mean, it is, right? Yeah, it could be. So there's point shaving, which has led to criminal charges, and it gets to criminal fraud. There's just been a reluctance, I think, among the Justice Department federally and locally state prosecutors to really pursue that because it sort of opens Pandora's box that we know teams tank, right? Not so egregiously, if it's true, a $100,000 bribe, but we clearly know that teams tank. Once you open the door to a criminal prosecution for that, uh, that could get into some muddy waters. Michael McCann is joining us for a few more moments. So also as part of that case, it goes back, Michael, to the text from Bill Belichick and the allegations that the Broncos officials were showing up to the interview with Flores while hungover and that that was part of a sham interview that existed just to check a box. I mean, obviously that's terrible, right? That's terrible form. But is it technically illegal? Yeah, I mean, that, that, I think that's going to be a hurdle, Jim, that it is poor. If it's true, it's poor form, it's irresponsible, and maybe they were checking a box. But in a way, that's actually a defense, that they were complying with the rule. And they didn't. if it's true that they acted that way, that's disappointing. But uh, obviously the team has disputed that. They issued a statement saying that that was untrue. But if we, even if we assume it's true, I'm not sure that's illegal. I think it's more irresponsible. All right, so if you're an attorney, Michael, for Flores, can you use the fact that only one NFL head coach is black as evidence of racial discrimination in the hiring processes? Yeah, he could use that. I don't think it's conclusive. It's certainly a bad fact for the NFL that currently there, there's only one. Now, that, that, that demographic could change, and it probably will change over the course of the litigation. And I think that that's a key point, that we're taking a snapshot at this moment but the demographic numbers probably are going to change, if not this offseason, then in the next offseason. But it does invite the question of why that's the case. Now, it doesn't mean that there's racism or that there's proof of discrimination, but it certainly opens the door to wondering why. Michael McCann, my guest, for another moment. So really quickly, what do you make of the Belichick text message? I mean, he's not necessarily the villain here, but how significant is that? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, he's not the villain. He didn't. He didn't do anything other than getting the, his address book wrong on his phone, which anyone could do. Uh, I think it's going. It's a fact that Flores has said. Well, this is clearly a sham interview. There's a couple counter arguments there. One is to say, if it's a sham interview, why did you go to it? If you really thought that was the case, and then secondly, uh, he, the team hadn't signed a new coach by that point. It was still an open interview, even if they were intending to sign someone else, which they did. I think there's always an argument for a team to say we're doing our due diligence because you never know what's going to happen until someone puts pen to paper. We saw that with the Colts and Josh McDaniels. All right, so I'm trying to be very respectful of your time, but two really quick things. You touched on this at the top. Proving a case like this can be really tough. How would you define a win for Flores in the case? Does he actually have to win at trial, or is getting to discovery a huge win? Yeah, great question. It's the latter. I mean, this, this is probably never going to go to trial. It's years from going to trial because it's a class action. So the, the earlier threshold question is going to be what you just said, discovery. 
where if it goes to discovery, suddenly it's super threatening to the league. We know that owners are private, that they like doing things their way. This is going to open the door to getting inside their minds, which, which is why I think we're not going to get there. I think if it gets to discovery, the league will do everything it can and offer any amount, you know, in quotes, not any amount, but a huge amount, to try to get this case settled. And then finally, you literally wrote the book on Ed O'Bannon and his story, so you know the impact on his life and career when he sued the NCAA. What kind of ramifications are you expecting to see for Brian Flores? Yeah, so Ed sues the NCAA and doesn't, and he, he, knew, he knew this would happen. He was okay with it. No more interviews for coaching positions. No more interviews for broadcasting jobs. Uh, Flores may have, unfortunately, th- this is sort of what happens when you take on a system. Uh, you become a villain. Now, teams might, might give lip service and say, oh, of course we wouldn't do that, but uh, he is risking a career. Now, he might say, so what? This is bigger than my career. This is bigger than me. And, and I think that's in part motivating him. He is a legal expert for Sportico, an attorney, a law, prof- a law professor, a sports and entertainment law director at UNH, author of Court Justice with Ed O'Bannon and the Oxford Handbook of American Sports Law. He is Michael McCann. Michael, great to get caught up. I don't know anybody else who can break that thing down the way you just did. Thank you very much. Great to have you back. Thanks, Jim. Good night now!